Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. We've got a big show for you this week. SpaceX has all kinds of news. Boeing has more plane trouble and UPS just reported earnings buoyed by this surge in online shopping we've seen during the pandemic. Joining me to help break it all down is Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman. Lou, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's as I said off the top of the show, very, very full, uh, a full show, lots of topics going on this week. So I just want to get into it uh, right off the bat. First off, we've got SpaceX in the news this week for lots of reasons, some of them good, some of them bad. Want to go with the good news first. SpaceX says they're going to send their first all civilian uh, crew to orbit this year. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing about this is, is that how quickly this suddenly looks routine. I mean, it was it was less than a year ago. It was May 2020 that we were celebrating their doing the Crew Dragon doing its first launch to the space station. And um, it almost feels routine. There's going to be one of those Dragon capsules parked at the space station almost indefinitely from now on. Uh, this is a it, it, it's it's a next step from there. But it's really amazing to see how much this story has shifted in a very short amount of time from concept to actual, no, we're doing this. It's it's on. So, Lou, uh, hot seat Virgin Galactic? What do you think? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, the real question is how much demand is there at these price points and what I, – I would much rather be SpaceX with a diversified business right now than Virgin Galactic. They're planning other things, but right now they are so reliant on this. I certainly think that they'd be watching this carefully and sort of nervous about it. Sure. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. We go from nobody's ever done this before to now there's competition, as you said. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I mentioned there was some good news and some bad news. So on the bad news side, on February 2nd, we had another uh, test failure for, for SpaceX. What's going on there? Right. And it's important to note that this is a separate program than the one that is going to put people that is putting people into space. This is the Starship. This is Mu Elon Musk's grand dream. This is what's going to take us to Mars. Uh, it's a very big, complicated new spaceship. They are testing it right now. Uh, just this week, they they did a test. It got it hit its target. It went about 10 kilometers into space, which is maybe one tenth of what you need to get into space. But they had a fireball crash upon landing. It's very similar to December. A, the, the last version of this also crashed in December. Very similar. It went up. They claim they get a lot of data from this. The issue is still on the landing. This is Musk's uh, thing that, to reuse these things and to uh, figure out how. That's where they're having trouble. There's a lot of positives, but it also points to the fact that this is early stages for that. Right. So, so it, you know, I think I asked you about it last time when we talked about that. That the previous previous incident, we, we talk about how these flights are becoming more routine. But these types of accidents are, are these something we should just kind of expect in the rocket business? Definitely, definitely at this level, because this is still again this is this is a craft that is far from bringing people or even payloads into space. We are very much this is a crash of beta software. If you think about it, you know to use that analogy. If if this was the uh, the the Falcon Nine or some of their more just kind of in use, then it would be more of a worry. This is bleeding edge, and bleeding edge sometimes fails spectacularly. 
Yeah. So, uh, so well, yeah, this is, you know, so move fast and break things, I guess. We don't, we don't, we, it's still in the testing they, they stage. We're break. in the testing stage. We want to do that in the yes. testing stage. Um, right. well, one other, one other thing uh, is a couple of potential issues um, from, a, from a federal uh, perspective, both from a hiring and a, and a permitting point of view. Um, thoughts on that? SpaceX is a government contractor, so that is a significant uh, business for them. Sure. And both of these are just kind of interesting side notes, but maybe it's something more if, if you if you put them all together. Uh, the DOJ is investigating a complaint claiming SpaceX discriminated in non against a non-U.S. citizen for hiring. It's not real clear what happened. As you say, this is a, con, a contractor. It could even be something caught up in that and a bigger issue than we know. But that's one investigation. There's also this 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 flight that uh, crashed this week was delayed because the FAA temporarily suspended their license for, quote, violating the terms of their public safety agreement. Uh, SpaceX didn't comment, but Musk went on Twitter and complained the FAA is fundamentally broken, will prevent humanity from going to Mars, all this stuff. Uh, you know, again, whatever it was, it was worked out. They were allowed a few days later to do the test. If there is a takeaway here, you know, We've seen this with Tesla, too. Musk has a very cavalier attitude towards regulators, the SEC, whoever it is. And, you know, just just it, it, that's great when it works. But just be careful, because we are talking about whether it's autopilot, people on the roads or eventually some of these. Uh, the FAA was, sounds like was concerned that people living in the vicinity could have been affected by the tests. Uh you know, they, there is a need with these things to to show some caution, and uh, Cavalier will get you. It will allow you to do great things. It can also get you in a lot of trouble. So just just be careful. Right, it's, it's going to be a complicated uh, thing in, in this industry. We'll, we'll see what happens. Very exciting things uh, going on at, at SpaceX, nonetheless. We talk about you know maybe uh, some spats with the government and some bad news uh, surrounding a business. I, I think that has described Boeing uh, over the past couple years uh, for sure. What, what's going on with Boeing uh, lately? Well, the good news is we're not going to talk about problems with the 737 MAX. The bad news is we're going to talk about problems with the 777X, which is a new version of their largest plane. This is their cross-the-ocean international plane. It was delayed even prior to the 737 MAX. Uh, it was supposed to be flying by now. But now, post-737 MAX, with all the issues that that uncovered, the regulatory scrutiny to get this thing certified is going to be all the more intense. Now, Boeing, just in the last few weeks, has said it's not going to be 2022 when it's flying as they hoped. They're hoping for late 2023, which is just light years for this industry. And, uh, you know, more to the point, this is this is turning into a real albatross of a program. This is not the plane that airlines need right now. It is the biggest thing Boeing offers. It's it's focused on international flights at a time where we're not seeing international flights. And uh, this this is a huge, huge deal for Boeing that they've invested billions and billions in. And suddenly there's real concern about when it's coming out and how it will sell. So what is... Give me some good news for Boeing, because it seems, seems like just over the past couple of years, there's just not a lot. There's just more bad news every day, it seems like. What, what's, what's, the, what's the positive spin? Like, what's the light at the end of the tunnel for this company? I'm going to answer this with actually by doubling down with the bad news. Uh, one of the things that we really have to watch with the 777X right now is, is that Boeing in its annual report reduced its number, uh, its order book by about one third. Now, that's mostly an accounting thing. That's because it's going to be so late, some of its customers can 
back out of these deals. And so they cannot count it as a firm deal anymore. It doesn't mean they will back out. Chances are they will see some cancellations. The good news here is, is that it might just save the Dreamliner program, which Boeing has also had to cut back on. The Dreamliner is a kind of a smaller version of this. It's still made for international flying, but it doesn't have all of the seats. It's a little easier to operate in this environment and probably the environment we're going to see. Uh, the Dreamliner is arguably a more important program for Boeing. And while they do not want to see the, the, tri the 777X end up as just a disaster. They would rather salvage the Dreamliner. We have the Dreamliner hopefully on the rebound. The 737 MAX is flying. Airlines on their fourth quarter call did not. They talked about that uh, passengers aren't pushing back. Uh, we're going to see cash burn hopefully slow, if not, if not go positive in 2021 with the MAX. The worst is over, but um, it's it's really hard to say. It, 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 there's not a lot to throw a party about right now for Boeing. Right. And here I can hear a lot of folks saying, well, you know, airline travel is going to come back with the vaccine. And so that maybe that's going to snap back demand for, for aircraft. But but there's with the nature of this business, there's a lag in, in, in how that plays out. Especially in this situation when the airlines had to take on so much debt for them to just survive. Yes, I think there's going to be a rebound, but that rebound is largely going to be on the backs of existing metal. And maybe there's a lot of planes you can get on the cheap right now used. I think it's hard to make the case. We will see new plane sales because a lot of these contracts you can't wiggle out of. I think it's hard to make the case that we will see new plane sales for either Boeing or Airbus accelerate within the next even five-year period, just as as the airlines lick their wounds and try and get back to normal. So aftermarket part manufacturers might be an interesting uh, area there. Um, so along the lines of, you know, we've seen this decline in, in travel. So certainly Boeing and some of these airline uh, airlines have been losers here, but, you know, four losers. There have been some winners. You mentioned earlier, UPS just reported earnings, e-commerce demand through the roof uh, due to lockdowns and that people not wanting to, to be out of their home. What are we seeing uh, from UPS out of their earnings report? Well, I think anyone who has a recycle bin probably knows exactly what's going on with UPS, the number of Amazon packages and other cardboard you have out there. And, you know, sure enough, uh, UPS had a great fourth quarter report. They they beat 266 per share on earnings on 24.9 billion in revenue. That was higher than consensus and consensus had been ratcheted up based on what FedEx and some of the others had said. Uh, the pandemic ended up being a good and a bad. We have seen B2C volume soar, B2B lag, but the net net is, is that the, the overwhelming surge in B2C offset a lot of the weakness they had in other parts of their business. They ended up, uh, domestic package division saw a 17.4% increase year over year in revenue. It was the highest quarterly operating profit in company history. This is the right business for the time, this home delivery business, and it is really performing. And we've seen that across the line with these logistics companies. Yeah. So, so just underline, when you say... B2C business versus B2B business. What are the distinctions there? So B2C business to consumer. This is taking the package to your house, to my house. Business B2B is, it could be, it doesn't have to be two businesses. It could just be running kind of transport from warehouse to warehouse for a customer. But it is, it is business shipping that does not end up in the last mile to the house is, this, is the simple way to think of it. Okay. And so traditionally, UPS has been focused on this this business-to-business -business shipping. Um, 
seeing this big shift towards business to consumer with the rise of e-commerce, changes in in, in pa- you know patterns of how, how businesses are, are are working. How does this set up uh, for, for UPS's business? Obviously, it's being that it's you know legacy business was around this business to business shipping. Do, do those advantages are they as applicable in this business to consumer world? In an ideal environment, the business to business tends to be a lot more profitable. There's a lot less cost. The last mile cost is substantial, so that does tend to drag down margins on the on the business to consumer. The interesting thing is uh, UPS isn't really caught in the post office model where you have to go to every house, but largely these days, last mile is to the entire house, to every house. The advantage in B2B, and the interesting part of it is, is you can be more selective. You can play in the areas you want. Uh, for UPS, that has been, uh, whether it's refrigerated, where it's time sensitive, uh, areas like that where you you can kind of pick your battles and try and find margin. Uh, that That is a part of the business. Yes, they've done B2B forever, but most of their growth over the last decade or so has been to build out this business to business in the areas they want. And yeah, one of the big questions for this company in 2021 is how will this normalize? What will it mean for margins? Or are we stuck in this sort of rut for a while? Because they very much want to see that B2B come back. They, they want that side of their business to outperform. Yeah, so price discrimination, I guess, seems to be the, the magic word there. In the B two B, you can price discriminate in a way that you cannot um, on on the B business to consumer side. Um, so one of the things we, we see with UPS and really is a conversation across the board uh, in logistics is is the role of Amazon. We, we've seen, seen FedEx uh, cut Amazon loose or, or you know cut loose of doing business with Amazon uh, a while back. How should we be thinking about that relationship uh, and its importance for UPS? So yeah, Amazon has had some very very high profile blowups with a couple of different logistics companies, and UPS is sort of the beneficiary. Amazon represented 13% of total UPS revenue in 2020. That was, I mean, it was already high in 2019. It was about 11%, but it is a growing number. And that is both a of something to be excited about and something to be nervous about because we have seen dust-ups with other shippers. UPS is the preferred partner right now. It's a big part of their business. I think it can continue to grow despite everything Amazon's doing. But I I, I see it almost as much as a risk as, as it is an opportunity. I, if I'm UPS, I'm not trying to dump that business, but I am not counting on that growing just because Amazon is constantly doing new things. I, I think it's just something to watch with them. Right. So, so as between UPS and FedEx, I know all these companies are always grouped together. UPS, you know, Amazon's 13% of the business. FedEx uh, is leaving Amazon, uh, you know, leaving doing, doing business with Amazon. Uh, as between these two companies, which would you find more interesting? So FedEx had a tough year in 2019. In part, it was its own doing. They were really investing heavily. They were going to seven-day-a-week service. They were building out their infrastructure. Ended up very well-timed investment, given what came in 2020. But they are still sort of paying the price for that, despite having a great year in 2020. You get them at a discount. Right now, the forward price to earnings is about uh, 18 times. Uh, the price is 18 times earnings for UPS. It's only 14 for FedEx. I think FedEx is better set up to grow margins. You're going to see better asset utilization as you go year over year. We're seeing that seven-day use of the assets. I think there's a real opportunity for FedEx to close that gap. FedEx is also doing a really good job 
one of the reasons that they and Amazon got in such a fight is they are going after Amazon. They are helping retailers with returns. They are doing a lot of these services to kind of everybody to try and get the business of everyone but Amazon. I like the way FedEx is, is set up. FedEx's stock has done was gangbusters in 2020. I think it still has room to run. They're the stock of the two I own, and uh, I I I'm happy with that. I'm not I'm not switching that up anytime soon. Yeah. So obviously, this is uh, this kind of big surge in in logistics volume has has been significant for for lots of players in the space. Before we went away, um, we've talked about UPS and FedEx. Wanted to talk about one other company that I, I think should be on folks' radar. We we've talked about it uh, offline. Some it's it's a company that it's on my been on my watch list for a long time. I've never bought shares, but I need to correct that uh, sometime soon. Um, but you do own shares. That's XPO Logistics, Lou. Why, why is this a, a company? in logistics or in shipping that people should be paying attention to. Another one, by the way, that had a big fight with Amazon and then saw its stock suffer. But uh, XBO is a diversified, it's more diversified than UPS or FedEx. It is a large logistics company. It's doing like we talked about with FedEx. It, it kind of, uh, it, it wrote the roadmap on how to compete with Amazon. Its XBO direct product is basically the entire back office for retailers who aren't named Amazon, who can't maybe necessarily do that scale on their own, but collectively they can get that scale and better compete. Uh, it's also a very confusing company to follow because it's it's one of the largest trucking businesses. It's got a huge European operation. And uh, quite frankly, its stock was a real dog in the pandemic. Uh, because of the European operations, it got hit twice on the pandemic. It's got a lot more debt than its peers because it is a 10-year roll-up story. And it is constant, it, up until the last year or two, it had been constantly buying things. Uh, its CEO, Brad Jacobs, back in April, basically had to write a pep rally letter to shareholders. Uh, he said, look, I'm a mega bull on this company long term. We've built this company like a bulletproof tank. We're going to generate a lot of cash in the downturn. And uh, the stock has come back, but it is still a very interesting company to watch with uh, with a lot coming up this year. Yeah. So you mentioned two things. So you mentioned uh, you know the roll-up strategy and you mentioned Bradley Jacobs. And you know if you look at his track record, if you put those Bradley Jacobs and roll up, he's like Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, his track record, this isn't the first of these companies that, that, that he's built. And if he tells you he's bullish on a company, he's probably right. I mean, he probably if his track record is any proof, it's he's probably correct. So, so if you look at it, he said, we will generate cash through this because that was a real concern. They do have a lot of debt relative to their peers. Uh, the two quarters they've reported since then, they they beat analyst expectations for cash both times, $200 million in the second quarter, almost $300 million in the third. The stock is up 112% since that letter. Uh, it still arguably is undervalued. And we can get into this. Uh, in December, they announced plans to split into two companies. Uh, on one side, you're going to own the world's second largest contract logistics operation. Uh, this is the e-commerce focus thing. This is what we talked about, sort of the direct product and the, 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 the Amazon logistics for everybody not named Amazon. On the other side of it, you have the third largest provider of less than less than truckload transport in North America, which is a very, very lucrative part of the business. It's the idea instead of filling a truck for one customer, putting a lot of different customers' orders on a truck. So it's a lot more complex. Uh, it's also one of the second largest freight brokerages. We hopefully by the end of this year, these will be two separate companies. The reason is really simple. XPO trades today at 
and an enterprise value 13 times EBITDA. If you look at some of the pure plays in these two businesses, kind of a best in breed, Old Dominion is a trucking less than truckload best of breed. It trades at a 21x multiple. Logistics specialist C.H. Robinson, again, a very good company, they traded 16x. XPO, again, was at 13x. They are hoping a simpler story, a less confusing, muddled story. They can get rid of the conglomerate discount. You can also sort of reshuffle the debt and put more debt on the logistics side, which should be faster growing and hopefully achieve investment grade for both. I really believe for all of the gains this stock has made, it is still undervalued. It is still the most interesting thing out there. And when this split happens, it's going to be really interesting to see what Jacobs does next and, and, and where it goes from here. Because when you give him a currency, when you give him freedom to go out and explore and buy things, he, as you say, he has a wonderful track record of creating value. And uh, I, I have no doubt he'll do it again. Yeah, it's, you know, as you're talking, Lou, it reminds me, I think it was like a year, year and a half ago, we talked about the Dow DuPont split and how the management in that case, it had a great track record of, of creating value. Um, you know, you kind of have a similar situation, right, where you have this 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 event where you have a manager with a, with a track record of, of allocating capital and creating value with, with, with the way they've uh, moved things around. You, you can tell a story why, about why, from a fundamental point of view, this business has, a, has lots of tailwinds. Um, and you can tell a story about where, just from a valuation point of view, uh, if, if, if you just snap your fingers and close that valuation gap, uh, you know, the, the, the company can, can really produce gains for you. So, I don't know. There's a lot to like about, about, uh, about XPO, I think. And I, I've watched it for far too long. I think maybe it's about time for me to buy a, a few shares. You know, one more thing, too, if you just think of the psychology. It, it is all too common for sort of an empire builder to fall in love with his empire. I think it shows almost a, a heartless... And I mean that in a good way, but our ruthless commitment to shareholder value to rip what you have created in half because the market won't, in your mind, doesn't recognize the value. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, part of me is a longtime holder. I, I'm OK. I, I intend to hold it forever. I, I sometimes think, man, I, this is a good business. I wish they'd keep it together and figure it out. But but you really have to appreciate him, the guy who built it, saying, no, it's not working. I am going to do this dramatic thing because this isn't working. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just, just again, as far as a CEO, this is a back the jockey play for me. And um, it's so far so good. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Lou, um, before I let you go, I want to ask you the Highlander question, right? So we've got, talked about a bunch of companies today. There can only be one uh, that, that you're going to choose, right? We mentioned Amazon briefly. I'll throw Amazon in there. Uh, UPS. XPO, SpaceX, Boeing. You can only own one for the next five years. Which one are you choosing and why? I think I sort of maybe already answered this, but I am definitely taking XPO. I mean, I, I, I have high hopes for all those companies. Uh, SpaceX, I doubt we'll ever see public, but XPO, I just think there is so much potential, especially on that logistics side, to grow as e-commerce becomes more important. And on the trucking side, I think we're going to see this to become one of the best operators. And I, again, it's a pretty fragmented industry. We can't, it can continue to grow. I think there is a lot of room to run. None of these are tech company or Amazon is a tech company, but you know, as far as industrials go with growth rates, XPO is a really intriguing story for me. And since that, I think that's where I'd go. 
Yeah, maybe I maybe I've telegraphed which one I'd pick because I've just I've watched XPO just like go up for the past couple years, and there's been several times when I've when I've looked at the company and said, you know, I. I I can tell myself a story about why this valuation makes a lot of sense, and I've never actually bought, and so I think I'm just going to stop being dumb and actually buy. Um, so for me, so for me, I'm going to I'm going to pick XPO. But we'll we'll keep following uh, this company, the whole then the whole space um, as as things evolve, and you know as the spin takes place, we'll we'll talk about that when that time comes. Until then, Lou, thanks as always for joining me. Always a pleasure. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool On. Fool On.